Welcome to Be Set Free, the radio outreach of Whitefields Community Church in Longmont, Colorado. Be Set Free features the teaching ministry of Pastor Nick Cady. Pastor Nick's desire is to bring the gospel into our lives so we can experience the joy and freedom that can only be found through Jesus. Today's message comes from our series, The Five Solas, looking at the impact of the five core beliefs of the Reformation 500 years later. Here is Pastor Nick. Good morning. Welcome to Whitefields. We're glad you're here this morning. Please open with me in your Bibles to the book of Genesis, the first book of the Bible, Genesis chapter 15. Uh, for those of you who like to read your Bible on your phone, we encourage you to use the Version Bible app. If you sign into there and go to the menu, you can find the events page. And in the events page, you can find our live notes. So it's stuff on the screen and other stuff as well and can interact on there. You can send stuff. You can take notes. It's a really great app. So we encourage you to use that. This year, 2017, this marks the 500-year anniversary of the Reformation. The Reformation was an international movement about returning to the Bible, about putting the Bible in the hands of the people. And what happened at that time is that as people read the Bible, as they got their hands on the Word of God and they read it for themselves, they rediscovered the gospel and their lives as a result were changed and history was changed as a result. And you know, this is something we very much believe in here at Whitefields is that if you will come to the Word of God, if you will read the Bible, if you will find in the Bible the good news of Jesus Christ, then your life will be changed forever as well. That's why we're here uh, this morning too. So for the anniversary of the Reformation, we are taking five weeks. It's kind of a mini-series that we're doing. And we're taking five weeks and a break from our series that we were in the middle of, which was a study through the book of Hebrews. And we're looking at the five core biblical teachings, which were at the heart of the Reformation. The Reformers kind of coined them into five slogans, which they called the five solas. Sola, by the way, means only or alone. Last week, we looked at the, at the first of those, which is kind of the foundation for all of them. And as sola scriptura, which means that scripture alone is our highest authority. This week, we're going to be looking at the next of these five, which is sola fide, which means uh, faith alone. And we're going to be talking about what it means and how it is that we can be made right with God according to the Bible. So we're going to read this morning from Genesis chapter 15, and we'll begin by looking at the first six verses. So please read along with me. After these things, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision. Fear not, Abram, I am your shield. Your reward shall be very great. But Abram said, O Lord God, what will you give me? For I continue childless, and the heir of my house is Eliezer of Damascus. And Abram said, Behold, you have not given me offspring and a member of my household to be my heir. And behold, the word of the Lord came to him, This man shall not be your heir. Your very own son shall be your heir. And he brought him outside and said, Look toward the heaven and number the stars if you are able to number them. And he said to them, So many shall your offspring be. And Abram believed the Lord, and he counted it to him as righteousness. This is God's word. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for your word that is living, your word that is active, and your word that has effect on our lives when we come to you and we hear it and we interact with it. So Lord, this morning, Lord, you tell us that faith comes by hearing and hearing the word of God. So this morning, we ask that you would build faith in us, that you'd teach us what it means to have faith, and Lord, that the object of our faith would be Jesus. And so Lord, this morning, we ask that you would speak to us, let us be not only instructed, but Lord, would you do a transformative work in our hearts and our minds? We pray that in Jesus' name. Amen. There was a young man. His name was John. 
and John was traveling on the way to start a new job. John was from England originally. Uh, that's where he had grown up. But this job was in America, in the state of Georgia, to be exact. And he was traveling there by boat. John, by the way, he was a pastor. This job that he was going to take was the job to take over a church and be the pastor of a church. And he was asked, because he, they knew he was a pastor, they asked him to please be the chaplain on board the ship as they were traveling across the ocean. And John heartily agreed. But as that ship was traveling from England to America, they got caught in a storm at sea. And the storm got so bad that they feared for their lives. In fact, they were quite sure, even the captain was sure, that they weren't going to make it. Also on board this ship, by the way, was, was another group of people. And that group of people, they were going on a mission trip. They were going on a mission trip. Uh, and their group was called the Moravians. And they were on their way to America to minister to Native Americans. Now, John, of course, was the chaplain of the ship. He's the one who's supposed to be there, right? He's supposed to be strong for the other people to look to him and, and be encouraged and have faith. And yet, as John faced the possibility of his own death, he found himself completely freaked out, racked with anxiety, racked with fear, and panicking. But yet, he looked over at this group of missionaries from these German missionaries, these Moravians, and their reaction took him by surprise because what they did is in the midst of this storm, here he was freaking out, afraid of dying, totally panicking, and yet these, this missionary group, these Moravians, they gathered together and they calmly sang worship songs for the entirety of the storm. Now, after the trip was over, John went over and asked the leaders of this group, you know, how is it that they were able to have so much confidence and so much peace in the face of calamity? And the man said, well, it's easy. We have faith in Jesus. Uh, we know that if we die, we're going to be with him. You know, like, like it says in the Bible, like Paul the Apostle, you know, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. And the man asked him, well, John, don't you have faith in Christ? And John said, oh, uh, yeah, totally. I, Absolutely. Lots of faith. Tons. But later he wrote in his journal, and it's recorded that he said, I said yes, but I fear that those words were in vain. You see, he had said yes, because I mean, how weird is that if you're the pastor, right? How ridiculous is that if you're the chaplain on board the ship, and yet you don't have faith in Christ? And, and yet he, he was sort of torn because he found himself that his faith had been tested and in a way he had failed because if he really did have faith in Christ, then why was he so afraid of dying? That incident and that question, it plagued him. It haunted him for years to come. See, here he was, uh, a pastor, a missionary. In a way, he had gone to America. He had come to Georgia to convert others to Christianity. But more and more, he wondered if he was even a Christian at all. And he actually came to the point where he was convinced that he was not. After two years, he quit his job. You can imagine two years of feeling like a phony, like a fake, being the pastor and yet wondering the whole time if you even believe any of this stuff. And he resigned from his position as pastor of the church. And he got back on a boat and he went back home to England. He went back home confused, disappointed. He felt lost, disoriented. And on top of all of it, he was now unemployed. He was an ex-pastor, and he had no idea what he was going to do next with his life. Maybe you figured out who that man is already. Maybe not. His name was John Wesley. John Wesley. And before, you know, what's interesting about Wesley is that before he had become a pastor, before he had gone to America as a missionary, 
John had been a student at Oxford University, and when he was at Oxford, he had started a club for Christians, him and his brother Charles. They had started a Christian club called the Holiness Club, and that's what the club was about. It was a club for students who didn't want to just be Christians, but they wanted to be hardcore Christians, right? They wanted to be serious about God. These were people who were all in, all the way, and no compromise. And here's what you had to do to be part of the Holiness Club. You had to take a vow, and here's what your vow consisted of. You had to take a vow to live a holy life and not to sin. You had to take a vow to take communion every single week. Your vow was that you would pray every single day and you would visit prisons once a week and you would preach the gospel to the prisoners. And finally, you were required to, if you were in this club, to spend three hours every day reading the Bible. Three hours every day. And Wesley had been one of the organizers of this club. This was, you know, him and his brother, this was their idea. We're going to be hardcore. We're going to be all in. No compromise. And we're going to gather people and we're going to tell them, it's all about holiness. Let's be holy unto the Lord. And, and here he was when he was in college. He considered himself, you know, to be pretty hardcore in his faith. And he looked down his nose at other Christians who he considered not to be as committed as he was, who didn't read their Bibles for three hours a day like he did. And his crowning achievement of his life and you know, the thing that he would kind of say the jewel in his crown was when he had gotten on that ship to go to America as a missionary. I mean, how much more hardcore can you get, right? How much more commitment is there than going overseas to a foreign land and being a missionary? Is that not the greatest, most extreme thing that you can possibly do for God? And yet on that boat, on his way to America, on route to being a missionary, when that storm hit and he had come face to face uh, with death, he came face to face with the reality that in spite of everything he had been doing, in spite of all his efforts, he hadn't actually gotten closer to God at all. In spite of everything he was doing, his efforts to, to try hard and, and, and get close to God, he, he hadn't. He hadn't gotten any closer to God at all. And when he quit his job as a pastor and a missionary, and he returned to England with his tail between his legs, you could say. He wrote this in his journal that, that when he arrived in England. He said, I went to America to convert the Indians, but oh, who will convert me? Who and what will deliver me from this evil heart of mischief? Here was the crushing irony of it all. He's the guy who started the holiness club Right? He had done everything he could to be so holy so that he could be right with God. And it wasn't enough. There was still evil in his heart. And he knew that as long as there was evil in his heart, that he was not right with God. And this was the reason why he had panicked on the boat in the storm that day. Because he feared that if he died that day, he would have gone to hell. Because he knew that there was sin in his life, there was evil in his heart, and sin and evil separated him from a holy God. And he, in his exasperation, says, who and what can save me? What could he do? He had done everything he could possibly think of. He had tried his hardest to be holy, to be committed, to do everything he could, right? I mean, he had read in his Bible and prayed every single day. He didn't smoke. He didn't chew. He didn't go out with girls who do. He had even become a missionary, what else could he possibly do? What else could God ask him from him? After his return to England, John Wesley, now an unemployed ex-pastor, he never forgot that encounter that he had with those people on the boat, those Moravian missionaries. Those people who had something that he looked at and said, 
I don't have that, but I want it. I know that I need it. They have something that I don't, and I, I want it. You've been listening to a message by Pastor Nick Cady of Whitefields Community Church in Longmont, Colorado. We'll get back to the remainder of this message in a moment. We are open for in-person worship on Sunday mornings with services at 8, 9.30, and 11 a.m. Come grow with us on Sunday mornings, online or in person at 8, 9.30, and 11 a.m. Now, back to Pastor Nick with the remainder of today's message. And he actually found out that there was a group of these Moravians who met in London. And so he found out where they met. They met on a place called Aldersgate Street, which is still there in London today. It's a, they had a small rented facility where they would have evening meetings. They called it a society. And they would read passages from the Bible. They would do kind of what we talk about, like Bible study in the evenings. And so he found out about this Moravian thing, and he, he said, okay, fine. He, he, one day he pulled himself together, and one evening he decided... He's going to go. So he went down to Aldersgate Street. He found the number of the building. He went into the building, and he sat down in the room and listened. And that night, they were reading aloud a text which was written by Martin Luther. It was the commentary that Martin Luther had written to Paul's letter to the Romans. You see, when Martin Luther, 200 years earlier, had translated the Bible into German, he had written a preface to each of the books, not every one, but a lot of the books of the Bible. He had written a preface to it, you know, kind of summarizing what it was about and, and giving some commentary on it. And so that night, these Moravians in, in their gathering, their society, they were reading aloud Martin Luther's preface to the letter to the Romans. You know, Martin Luther, like I said, he had lived 200 years earlier during the Reformation. And, and yet, Martin Luther and John Wesley really had a lot in common. Like Wesley, Martin Luther had tried very hard to be good and to make himself acceptable to God. Luther had given up a career as a lawyer in order to become a monk. And Luther had spent hours every day in prayer and confession, doing everything that he could. And like Wesley, Luther had gotten to the point of exasperation, of hopelessness and frustration, feeling like he could never do enough, he could never be good enough, he could never do what it takes to be acceptable to God. But then something had happened to Martin Luther. He, he had read the Bible and he had specifically read Romans. And when he had discovered he, when he read Romans, what he discovered was contrary to what he had always thought, contrary to what he had been told, contrary to the way that most people believed, the Bible actually taught that the way to become right with God is not by your own efforts. It's by trusting in Jesus Christ and what he did for you. You see, when you do that, the Bible says that God accounts it to you as righteousness. That's what we just read about Abraham in Genesis chapter 15. Let me tell you what Romans has to say about it. Romans chapter 3, starting in verse 21, it says, But now the righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law, although the law and the prophets bear witness to it. The righteousness of God, check this out, through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe. For there is no distinction, for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God and are justified by his grace as a gift that the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God put forward as a propitiation by his blood to be received, how? By faith. And then in Romans chapter four, it says this, for what does the scripture say? 
This will remind you where we started. Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness. You see, as Martin Luther read Romans, the entire Bible finally made sense to him. Everything began to fall into place. He came to realize that the the message of the entire Bible is this, that salvation and being right with God is not something you can earn. It's not something you can merit. It's not about what you do for God. It's about what God has done for you in Christ. In other words, salvation is a gift. You can't earn it. You don't deserve it. But God has done it for you because he loves you. And all you have to do is accept it by faith. So in his preface, in his commentary on Romans, which was being read aloud that night at that meeting on Aldersgate Street, Martin Luther explained the basic points of the book. He summarized them. He said, here's what the book is about. It begins by telling us God is holy, just, and pure, and therefore he must judge sin. He can't overlook sin. And that's a problem for us because it's not just that we sin. It's not just that we commit sins. It's that we are sinners in our very nature. But the good news of the gospel is that God loves you and Jesus died for you. And because of what he did, you can be saved and forgiven and you can have absolute confidence and peace because your salvation doesn't depend on you. It doesn't depend on what you do. It depends on what Jesus did for you. So then what does it mean to live by faith? What does it mean to have faith? Here's what Luther said in that preface. He said, faith is a living unshakable confidence in God's grace. A living, unshakable confidence in God's grace. And as John Wesley was sitting there in that night listening to this, something changed inside of him. And he wrote this in his diary. In that evening, I went very unwillingly to a society in Aldersgate Street where one was reading Luther's preface to the epistle to the Romans. About a quarter before nine, while he was describing the change which God works in the heart through faith in Christ, I felt my heart strangely warmed. I felt I did trust in Christ alone, Christ alone for my salvation. And assurance was given me that he had taken away my sins, even mine, and saved me from the law of sin and death. As he heard that message of the gospel, Wesley found the assurance that he had been looking for for all these years. He realized now that the problem had been that he was looking within himself for assurance. But now he looked outside of himself. He looked to Christ. See, here's the thing. This is true for you and for me. If you are looking within yourself for assurance, you'll never have it. It's only when you look outside of yourself. It's only when you look to Jesus and what he did for you that you will have assurance. And this, see, this is why one of the rallying cries, one of the five rallying cries of the Reformation was sola fide, faith alone. What faith alone means, by the way, it doesn't mean that we don't have works. What it means is that the way you receive forgiveness of sins, the way that you are made right with God is by faith alone in Jesus and what he did to save you. See, everybody agrees on the faith part. It's the alone part that's really the issue here. Everybody agrees that we should have faith, but faith alone, what that means is that it's not faith plus something else that you have to do. It's not faith in Jesus plus good works that you have to fulfill. It's not faith in Jesus plus ceremonies that you have to go through. It's faith alone in Jesus and what he did for you. The text we read this morning is the very first direct mention of this principle of justification by faith that we find in the Bible. And this text then is quoted 
in several places throughout the Bible when, it, when they want to explain this principle of how righteousness is received by faith. It's mentioned in Romans chapter 4. It's mentioned in Galatians chapter 3. And it's mentioned in James chapter 2. It's quoted there directly. And so what I'd like to do this morning is let's go back to the story in Genesis that we read the beginning of this morning, uh, at the beginning here, and let's look at it and let's consider what does it mean for us and for our lives today. So it begins with these words. After these things, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision. Fear not, Abram. I am your shield. Your reward shall be very great. So it's after these things. After what things? Well, if you look at the previous chapter, what you'll find is that Abraham just turned down an opportunity to get rich. In order to get rich, he would have had to kind of make a pact, make an alliance with the king of Sodom. But God had called Abraham to be set apart, to be different. God had a different path and plan for Abraham. And so Abraham said, no, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to not take this opportunity to get rich. Instead, I'm going to do what God has called me to do and what God wants me to do. I mean, you can kind of imagine it like this. What if someone said to you, hey, you know, I'll give you a million bucks if you'll just give up on your dreams and what God has called you to do. And Abraham said, no. I'm going to stick with it. I'm going to do what God called me to do, even if it means that I'm broke and semi-homeless, you know. I'm just going to do it anyway. And in response to that, God said, Abraham, I saw that. I saw what you did there. And I want you to know, Abe, it blessed my heart. I, I, I want you to know how much I, I see that. And it blesses me to know that you choose me over wealth and riches and security. And he says, Abraham, I want to encourage you with something. I want to remind you that I am going to be with you, that I am going to protect you, and I am going to reward you. Nice, right? But look at how Abraham responds. You would think that Abraham would, like, if God said it to me, I'd be like, well, awesome, thank you. You know, cool. But here's what Abraham says. He says, he kind of pushes back, right? He's like, wait a second. I mean, I hear you making these promises. I hear what you're saying, but when is this going to happen? Because I've been waiting for a while now. You see, a few years before this, God had come to Abraham back in Ur of the Chaldees, which is where Abraham was from. At the time, Abraham was an idol worshiper. He wasn't looking for God, but God came looking for him. And God looked at Abraham and he said, that's my guy. I'm going to do something special with him. And God spoke to Abraham and he said, Abe, it's me, God Almighty. Lord of heaven and earth, here's what I want you to do. I want you to stop worshiping idols. I want you to worship me. And I want you to come and follow me. I want you to take my hand and I'm gonna take you where I'm gonna take you and I'm gonna bless you more than you could ever imagine. I'm gonna make you into a great nation and through you, all nations, all people of the world will be blessed. You see, here was God's plan. Starting with Abraham, God was going to create a new nation from scratch. And through that nation, he would reveal himself to the world. And ultimately, through that nation would come the savior of the whole world. The only problem was Abraham was old and his wife was also no spring chicken. They didn't have any kids. And to make it even worse, they were past the age when you can actually have kids. But Abraham said, you know what? I'm going to choose to trust God, even though it doesn't seem very likely, even though I don't know how it's going to work out. I'm going to Choose to trust God even if the odds are stacked against us. But now, here we are, a couple chapters later, a couple of years have passed, a lot of time has passed, and still no kids. And so here's God just reiterating the promise, and Abraham's like, yeah, okay, but when? Because I've been waiting for a while already. It's really hard to become a great nation when you don't have any kids. And so when God speaks to Abraham here in chapter 15, 
Abraham voices his concern. He voices his frustration. He says, but Lord, I want to believe, but I don't see anything happening. I'm still childless. I want to believe that what you're telling me is true, but I'm struggling because I don't see it. And so it says there in verse 5 that God took Abraham outside and he said, Abe, look up at the stars. If you've ever been camping, if you've ever been driving in a really remote place at night, you know what this is like. You get away from the lights of the city. You look up in the middle of the night. If it's a clear sky, you see so many stars. And that's what Abraham would have seen. And God says, Abe, that's how many descendants you're going to have. And it says right there in verse 6, Abraham believed God. And God counted it to him as righteousness. So what is righteousness? Righteousness means right standing before God. Another way to put it, is this. You could say, righteousness is a validating performance record that opens doors. So say that again. Righteousness is a validating performance record that opens doors. Kind of like a resume. That's what a resume is. It's a performance record that opens doors for you. When you apply for a job, you hand them a resume. You say, here are the things that I've done. Here's, here's the things that I have accomplished and achieved. You've been listening to Be Set Free, the radio outreach of Whitefields Community Church in Longmont, Colorado. We have three in-person services on Sunday mornings at 8, 9.30, and 11 a.m. And our 9.30 and 11 services are live streamed on our website for those who would like to worship with us online. We are located just east of County Line Road and Highway 119 at 2950 Colorful Avenue in Longmont. For more information or to hear other messages from Pastor Nick, visit us online at whitefieldschurch.com. Be Set Free is a listener-supported program. If you have been blessed by this message and would like to support this ministry, you can send a donation via check to 2950 Colorful Avenue, Longmont, Colorado, 80504, or donate online at besetfreeradio.com.